glad you're able to join us online for Wednesday night service. We are going to be in God's Word, so we're going to be in uh, the book of Jeremiah. We're going to start at chapter 23. You can prepare your Bibles as uh, I have a few announcements that I want to give. Uh, it was wonderful to be able to uh, to see some of you on Sunday in our first in-person service that we've had for nearly three months. And we had the backyard open and uh, most of the people came. Uh, 8.30, 10.30 is the two services that we are doing. And uh, we uh, had a wonderful time. I, I know it's kind of hard and restrictive with the face masks and recommendations of the CDC. And uh, we put that out because we need to, first of all, uh, we are required to do that. Uh, but second of all, we want to be able to meet at this time. The, the COVID is still around, and we want to make sure we're doing everything that we can to make you safe. So uh, those guidelines are, are there on our website uh, in the e-bulletin and uh, posted around here. And we're going to continue to meet in the backyard on Sundays in-person services. 8.30 and 10.30, and so bring your umbrella, bring your chair, bring water. We will have some water here. Uh, we got uh, a few other things for you, like an extra face mask if you need it and would like to have one. Uh, we also, I want to remind you that we do have seating here in this sanctuary where you're out of the sun. It's limited seating, uh, but there was plenty, very few people used it on Sunday. And so we're using social distancing and also in the coffee shop. So that is available for you. And they're asking for six feet in be you know, between families and all the, uh, the requirements that are there. So um, I, I know it's different. It's different for all of us. But it was sure good to come together and to worship the Lord and to be able to just see you um, and to be able to converse with you. So we're going to continue with that on this Sunday. We're planning on June, July, doing outdoor services, 8.30, 10.30. Wednesday, online services are going to continue. What the plan is and what our hope and prayer is, and as things change through the summer, is when they start giving us guidelines for classrooms and to be able to have children's ministry, then we're going to uh, try to do Wednesday night once again in person. But we're trying to, to make these decisions and, and, um, and doing uh, what we can so we can meet safely uh, and we can meet uh, in a way that's uh, to most effectively. And, and so that's what we'll continue to do. So come join us, uh, 8.30, 10.30 for in-person services out on the back deck. Also limited seating here uh, in the sanctuary. And we do have chairs that are set up and then also in a coffee shop as well. Uh, there is a couple more announcements that I have concerning uh, the youth. Uh, the youth are going to start doing in-person weekly youth nights again. And there'll be a time of worship, a Bible study, and games. So you can contact Luke for that. Um, uh, and high school are meeting on Fridays, starting this Friday, right, Luke? Starting this Friday, 6 to 8 o'clock. And then middle schoolers are going to be meeting on Saturday at the church, 6 to 8. There's a one-time permission slip uh, in order to be completed uh, to participate, and we're encouraging the, young, the youth to bring, uh, wear a mask, and practice social distancing. And uh, so that's, again, we want to keep everybody safe as much as we can. Also, uh, just so your youth know, Pastor Luke is continuing to record teachings for the youth to watch uh, during this time. I know that it's been working well for... The adults have been watching me, um, and but uh, the youth have enjoyed going and watching Luke on the Wednesday night teaching, and you can view that under the media tab on the website, and they can watch Pastor Luke uh, do a teaching. Also, a high school youth retreat still scheduled July 30th through August 1st, 
and you can begin signing up by contacting Pastor Luke at lukefix.ccgreeley.com. Uh, we have other things that we're getting together, young adults uh, um, getting the schedule out for when they're going to be doing some things and some activities coming up uh, this month. Um, we're going to keep trying to bring people back in small groups and continuing to do that. So if you've got any questions, let us know. Call the church office. Uh, we'll try to update everything on the website. We are also, uh, it was interesting, uh, we were talking about uh, at dinner, Travis, and Travis is here, that tonight would have been the night we would have been showing the little video of the park outreach that, that we love to show. And uh, we would have, we were scheduled to do it this week out in the park, but obviously we didn't. But we are doing uh, a uh, Barbara and, and Angie putting together uh, VBS home kits. And the kits include uh, a DVT, DVD of teaching, uh, gospel presentation, worship, craft for the kids is the birdhouses. And the reason the birdhouses are the craft is because the theme is God cares for us from Matthew chapter 6. And we're going to start um, Matthew chapter 6 this Sunday as we'll go back to our study in the Sermon on the Mount and how God cares for us and cares for the birds, how much he cares for you and for me. There's game ideas. There's other uh, things that are going to be available for you. So on Sunday, the table that's out front uh, is going to have a place for you to come, and we will sign you up, first of all, for the VBS at home kits if you want that, but then second of all, for volunteering on Sundays through July at the 8.30 or the 10.30. So if you want to help in setting up and cleaning, because what we're doing is when everybody leaves, uh, we have to clean in between services, uh, and then, um, you know, just helping, uh, you, you know, usher, uh, tear down. There's a lot of things that need to be done. So we'll have that table. If you want to help, then you can sign up for that. And we want to get a list of people that are helping as we come together. And it would be a tremendous blessing if you want to serve in that way. And uh, we're going to put that all together. So be looking for that. Again, we'll have all this information that I'm giving to you on the e-bulletin. And, uh, can, you know, looking forward to this Sunday uh, when we meet once again in person, 8.30 and 10.30, out in the backyards, limited seating here in the sanctuary, and then also in the coffee shop. But I want to encourage you, be praying for the churches in our community. Be praying for the churches in general in our state because they're coming out with guidelines, um, you know, that for the churches. And... Uh, it really is affecting the larger churches that they're very restrictive to where they can only have 50 people in a room at most. And so when you got a large sanctuary, that's pretty restrictive. It, it, that's why they're saying if you're going to have an outdoor service, as long as you got social distancing, uh, you can have as, you know, uh, as many people if it works that way and you got the space for it. But inside the building, they're really being restrictive of how many people can come in. So that's why we're doing what we're doing. Be in prayer. Be in prayer for the church. Be in prayer for uh, our country, for the state. There's a lot going on, not only with COVID, but now with um, just the unrest and uh, everything else that's taken place as we've watched the rioting that has taken place, the, the protesting and and, um, of course, the protesting, we live in a nation where we can do that. And there are those who desire to do that peacefully. But we have seen also the images and the things that have happened to where there is such unrest. And, and, um, and we need to be praying. Um, our nation needs the gospel. And we talked about that on Sunday, that as Paul was writing to the Philippian, you know, uh, believers, he says, my chains are for the furtherance of the gospel. And whatever is taking place today, we need to keep our hearts and our mind on the gospel. That is our hope for this nation and for our state and for our community. So we need to be praying harder than ever. And we need to come together and we need to stay close to the Lord and we need to speak his truth and we need to give the gospel of Jesus Christ 
to others. And so um, looking forward to seeing you on Sunday. And so hopefully you got your Bibles open to Jeremiah chapter 23 is where we're going to begin our study here tonight. Father, we ask that you bless this time in the study of your word. And Lord, as we're coming together, slowly starting to come together, and I know with all the restrictions and and everything that, that we're doing here, it seems different. It is different. It seems kind of odd at times. But Lord, we're still the church coming together in love, in the unity of the gospel. And I pray that you would help us um, just to prepare for that and, and to once again meet on Sunday. And Lord, I, I know that everybody um, is not going to come. But Lord, uh, I'm thankful for the online services that we can continue to do on Sunday morning and Wednesday night. And tonight, for those who are listening, I pray that you would touch our hearts with your word, stir our hearts. We need your word to burn within our hearts, to take root there, to produce fruits of righteousness in our lives. Lord, we are seeing, even as Jeremiah was weeping for Judah, his nation, Lord, we weep as we see the, the events and the things that are taking place, uh, not only with this pandemic uh, that has shut things down and people losing their jobs and, and all the other things that come with this. We've been affected so much. But then the events of the last uh, week or so, Lord, we see it and we wonder. And there's people in distress. There's people uh, with confusion and and. There's anger and there's rage that is going on. Lord, we need you. We need to turn to you and ask for your help. And Lord, you're the one that writes in your word that you love justice and, and mercy and to walk humbly with our Lord. And Lord, it comes by a people that are committed to you. I pray for an outpouring, a great awakening in our nation, in our cities, in our communities. Lord, I pray that, that we would cry out to you and look to you. And Lord, that we as Christians would be truly a light, that we would be salt, that we would, would be a voice of truth to give to others. Lord, I know that as we look at the Bible, that the Bible says that the last days are going to be perilous. The Bible speaks of lawlessness in the last days. It speaks of... of uh, things that are going to take place that are hard to read. But Lord, you're still in control. And everything is culminating to where Jesus Christ is going to come back, the root of righteousness, the branch of righteousness that we're going to read about in this chapter. And that's when righteousness will cover the earth as waters cover the seas, the prophet Isaiah says. So Lord, bless this time as we study your word. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So here is Jeremiah as he's given a word to Judah, of course. He is telling them that because of your disobedience and rejecting the Lord, that captivity is going to come by the Babylonians. And if you were with us last week in chapter 22, there was the message that was given to the sons of Josiah. Remember that Josiah, as he was the last of the good kings, the godly kings in Judah, he had uh, put in reforms uh, to uh, establish worship once again at the temple, to get rid of all the idols, to restore uh, the ministry of the Levites and the priests to celebrate Passover. And so those reforms took place. But then Josiah in 609 B.C. was killed by the king of Egypt in the valley of Jezreel, northern Israel. And so chapter 22 speaks of the sons of Josiah. And what happened was, after the death of Josiah, uh, Jehoahaz, his son, came to the throne. But he only reigned for three months. And then the king of Egypt took him away uh, to captivity in Egypt. So then his other son, Jehoiakim, with an M, 
He reigned for the next 11 years. And during his reign, there was the first wave of captivity that took place in 605 B.C. And we know that Daniel was taken off into captivity as Nebuchadnezzar came to the throne of Babylon. Uh, he comes to Jerusalem. He begins to take the treasuries out of the temple and the house of the Lord there in Jerusalem, take them back to Babylon. The choice men of Judah into captivity where some of them would be trained in the affairs of the Babylonian government, such as Daniel. And he would reign for 11 years. As, as we talked about, he was one that he taxed the people very heavily. Uh, he would pay tribute to the king of Egypt, to him, gold and silver. And he would also, as we saw last week, build himself a white house with spacious chambers and cut out windows and paneling. He was very selfish. He didn't care about the people. And what happened after 11 years in about 598 B.C., uh, Nebuchadnezzar was making his way towards Jerusalem. And it seemed like that he was going to destroy Jerusalem because Jehoiakim had rebelled against him. And it is believed that the people killed Jehoiakim. And as he is killed, it would appease Nebuchadnezzar to where he didn't destroy Jerusalem in 597 B.C. But he would take more captives away. And when he did, it left a few people in the land. But finally, as we know that then Jehoiakim, the son of Jehoiakim, he only reigned for three months. He's taken off into Babylon. And then we're going to read more about Zedekiah, the last king of Judah. He reigned for the last 11 years before the destruction of Jerusalem. So we looked at all of that. And you recall that it was uh, this prophecy that was given to uh, Jehoiakim, or Jeconiah is what he's called in the scripture as well, because he was one that uh, did evil in the sight of the Lord. There was this curse that was put on the line of Jehoiakim, and it brought a problem because, as the Lord said in the last verse of chapter 22, thus says the Lord, write this man down as childless, a man who shall not prosper in his days, for none of his descendants shall prosper sitting on the throne of David and ruling anymore in Judah. You see, it brought a problem. And the problem was this, that the, the promise was given to David in 2 Samuel chapter 7 that the Messiah is going to come through your seed, David. He's going to sit on your throne. He's going to be your descendant. And all of a sudden, this curse is on David's son, or that is his descendant, Jehoiakim. And none of his descendants are going to sit on the throne anymore. Uh, it was pruned away. It was taken away. And the people perhaps didn't understand the implications at this time because they were so far from God. But the enemy must have thought, I got a great victory here. Uh, there's going to be no Messiah because Satan had tried everything to keep the Messiah from coming. He knew that the Messiah would come from the seed of Abraham, uh, that he would come through the Jewish nation. He would come through the throne of David. And he must have thought, I got a victory here. But God is still in control. Because as we look at the genealogy of Jesus, you go to Math, uh, Matthew's genealogy. There's a genealogy of Jesus, the legal line of Jesus, through his stepfather Joseph, who would come through the line of Jehoiakim. You see Jehoiakim mentioned in Matthew chapter 1, verse 12. But because Jesus was virgin-born, He's not disqualified because he doesn't come from the line of Jehoiakim. Rather, Luke's gospel records his genealogy through another one of David's son, and that is Nathan. He was the brother of Solomon, and, and his line was not under the curse. So Jesus gets his divinic throne rights through his mother Mary. In other words, God knows the end from the beginning. And he keeps his promises, and his word is true. And I want to remind us of that even tonight, that as I read about how the Lord is, is going to come back and establish his throne to where the Lord's going to establish his kingdom here on this earth, I rejoice in that because I know it's going to happen. 
So as we move now into chapter 23, here was, was Jeremiah addressing the sons of Josiah who did evil in the sight of the Lord, the civil leaders who led the people astray, but now he is addressing the religious leaders, the false prophets and teachers on this scene in chapter 23. And what he's going to say is that you shepherds are not feeding the sheep, you're not taking care of the people, but you are being reckless. You're fleecing them, and you're giving false dreams and visions to them. James comes along in the New Testament and tells us, don't many of you desire to be teachers because you will be healed, held at a stricter judgment. And to be a shepherd, and, and it's interesting that that term is used because Peter borrows it in his epistle. And I was reading this in my devotion this morning in 1 Peter chapter 5. He addresses what the shepherd should be like in, in the church. And a shepherd uh, is one the, that shepherds the flock of God. He's addressing the elders. Uh, I am a fellow elder, Peter writes, and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly, not for dishonest gain. And unfortunately, there are those today particularly in the prosperity movement, the prosperity gospel, who are fleecing the flock. They are ripping the people off. Peter, he says, you're not to do that for dishonest gain, but eagerly, nor as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. So we as shepherds, we are called to feed, to tend, to guard, to take care of the flock, to serve the flock. It was Paul the Apostle, when he was writing to the Corinthian believers, he said that we didn't come preaching ourselves, we came preaching Christ crucified. And we didn't come to rule over you, but to be helpers of your joy. So these shepherds in, in Jeremiah's day were leading the people down a, a, a road of destruction and captivity, and he's going to address that as we begin chapter 23. Woe to the shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture, says the Lord. Therefore, thus says the Lord God of Israel against the shepherds who feed my people, you have scattered my flock and driven them away and not attended to them. Behold, I will tend to you for the evil of your doing, says the Lord. But I will gather the remnant of my flock out of all countries where I have driven them and bring them back to their folds, and they shall be fruitful and increase. In verse 4, I will set up shepherds over them who will feed them, and they shall fear no more, nor be dismayed, nor shall they be lacking, says the Lord. So the unrighteous kings uh, are addressed, and now the unrighteous religious leaders called shepherds are fleecing the people rather than feeding the people. And God was going to remove them. They treated the people ruthlessly instead of leading the flock in love, instead of tending them. And, and the leaders didn't, you know, care for the sheep, so God's going to visit them, and he's going to bring punishment to them. God promises, as we read this, to bring back a remnant, as he didn't leave them without any hope. He said, I'm going to gather in verse 3 the remnant of my flock out of all countries where I have driven them and bring them back to their folds, and they shall be fruitful and increase. So as he's addressing those false leaders, he said, you're going to come back, but there's going to be a time where I'm going to raise up shepherds over them that are going to feed them, care for them. No more is there going to be fear or dismay. And I think that verses 3 and 4 that we read here are very much linked to when the Lord comes back and rules and reigns in the millennium reign. We do know that a small remnant would come back after the 70 years of captivity that began in 605 B.C., 536 B.C., Cyrus uh, of the Medes and the Persians makes a decree after Babylon falls and is conquered by the Medes and the Persians. He makes a decree that the Jews can go back to Jerusalem and begin to rebuild the temple. And that's what Zerubbabel does. And Joshua, the high priest, uh, just under 50,000 people went back to Jerusalem. That was a small amount compared to... Uh, 
you know, those who, the number that was in captivity, about three million of them at that time in captivity, we're going to see that Jeremiah, he's going to say to them that while you're in captivity, you have children. Um, you are to, you know, plant gardens, uh, but there is going to be a return. So a small remnant will come back. But we do know that the day is going to come when there is going to be a full returning of the Jews back to the land when the Lord comes back. You know, they, they would come, as Jeremiah is going to speak about, a greater return than what was in Egypt. So this has end-time implications, connecting it with verses 5 and 6. Let's read it. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that I will raise to David a branch of righteousness. A king shall reign and prosper and execute judgment and righteousness in the earth. And in his days Judah will be saved. And Israel will dwell safely. Now this is his name by which he will be called the Lord our righteousness. So a branch of David through Jehoiakim had been cut off, the end of chapter 22. But God says, I will raise to David a branch of righteousness. And Jesus is the fulfillment of Jeremiah chapter 23, verse 5. He will execute judgment, or it means act wisely in righteousness in the earth. As I've already said, as we are told in the Old Testament, that when Jesus comes back, that he is going to rule and reign in righteousness. And we know that he's going to rule with, as Psalm 2 says, with a rod of iron. It will be an enforced righteousness. And this will be fulfilled when he comes back to set up his kingdom. And then Judah and Israel will be united and will be restored and will be delivered. We continue reading in verse 7. Therefore, behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that they shall no longer say, as the Lord lives, who brought up the children of Israel from the land of Egypt, but as the Lord lives, who brought up and led the descendants out of the house of Israel from the north country and from all the countries where I have driven them, and they shall dwell in their own land. Interesting. So a remnant would come back from the captivity. It's interesting. But Jeremiah speaks of a much greater remnant gathering, so dramatic, it is greater than the deliverance of the Jews from Egypt. There's been three captivities that the Jews have, uh, are going to come back from. Two have already happened, obviously, in Egypt, where they were in slavery, when Jacob and his family went to Egypt under the reign of, of, of Joseph, who was the prime minister at that time, a son of Jacob, and they were there for 400 years, and it ended up being under slavery. So Moses leads them out and brings them to the promised land. And he says that this, in the reign of the Lord our righteousness, when he comes back to establish the kingdom of God, that there's going to be a greater return than that. And then, of course, the Babylonian uh, captivity, that a remnant comes back. And then also we see that after the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 AD by the Romans, that they would be scattered to all the countries. Jesus would make that comment, and he would talk about the destruction of Jerusalem in Luke's narrative in the, uh, the Sermon on the Mount. Or not the Sermon on the Mount, but the Olivet Discourse. And in that uh, teaching, he says that they will be scattered to all the countries. And that would take place. And we know that there has been a partial fulfillment of the Jews coming back into the land ever since they became a nation in 1948. And there's going to be the complete fulfillment of that when Jesus Christ comes back. So uh, Matthew chapter 24, verse 31, he shall send his angels with the great sound of a trumpet, and they shall gather his elect from the four corners of the earth. And so this, this uh, great uh, 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 coming back into the land when the Lord comes back to establish his kingdom. But then he begins to again address the false prophets and their false words. Verse 9. 
My heart within me is broken because of the prophets. All my bones shake. I am like a drunken man and like a man whom wine has overcome because of the Lord and because of his holy words. For the land is full of adulterers. For because of a curse, the land mourns. The pleasant places of the wilderness are dried up. Their course of life is evil and their might is not right. For both prophet and priest are profane. Yes, in my house I have found their wickedness, says the Lord. And then we read in verse 12, Therefore their way shall be to them like slippery ways. In the darkness shall be driven on and fall in them. For I will bring disaster on them. The year of their punishment, says the Lord. So Jeremiah, his heart is broken and, and his body is weak. He, he expresses that. When he thought about God's holy word and the false words of the prophets that would bring disaster, you know, to God's people. And verse 11 here, as we read, for both prophet and priest are profane. It, it speaks of uh, unholy. It speaks of godless. They were religious. Keep in mind that they came to the house of the Lord. They went through religious activity. They were worshiping Baal. They were worshiping other idols. They were burning and making cakes to the queen of heaven, the women were. That's already been mentioned. Uh, they were celebrating the pagan practices, and that's what was happening. So here were these false prophets encouraging the people to worship the false gods, be religious, but they were bringing disaster on God's people. And the Lord says, turn back to me, and they refused to do that. So they believed in, in religion, in a God, uh, but it was idolatry. It was profane. It was all polluted. It was all wrong. And he says, you're bringing disaster on them. Listen, for those of us who give the word of God, we have an awesome responsibility to stay to the truth of the word, to, to give people truth and not to compromise the word of God. But it's not just for me as a shepherd, as I shepherd this church, but it's also for you as you talk to your kids, as you're raising them up in the ways of the Lord. And sometimes the mindset can be, well, just believe whatever you want. It doesn't really matter as long as you're sincere. No, as we saw that the Lord had said that there's a way of life and a way of death. And the way of life is through Jesus Christ. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me is what Jesus said. And there is a way of death. You know, broad is the road that leads to destruction, Jesus said. We're going to see that in our study of Matthew on Sunday morning. And narrow is the way that leads to life. Narrow is the road that leads to eternal life, and it is only through Jesus Christ. So we want to make sure that we are staying true to the gospel and the truth of God's word. And today, there can be a lot of pressure on me as a pastor, on other pastors, and, and there can be a lot of pressure on parents and grandparents to compromise the truth. Don't compromise it. Because you'll end up bringing pollution and, and defilement to those that you're ministering to. Stay true to the word of God. In verse 13, for I've seen the falling of prophets of Samaria. They prophesied by Baal and caused my people Israel to err. Also, I've seen a horrible thing in the prophets of Jerusalem. They commit adultery and walk in lies. They also strengthen the hands of evildoers so that turns back from his wickedness. All of them are like Sodom to me and her inhabitants like Gomorrah. And verse 15, Therefore thus says the Lord of hosts concerning the prophets, Behold, I will feed them with wormwood and make them drink the water of gall. For from the prophets of Jerusalem, profaneness has gone out into all the land. So making reference to Samaria of Israel, uh, that's verse 13. Remember the ten northern tribes? that they were taken off into captivity by the Assyrians in 722 B.C., over, uh, you know, 100 years before Babylon takes Judah away. Uh, 
So as he's making reference to Samaria, or that is a name for Israel, the ten northern tribes in verse 13, comparing it to the prophets of Jerusalem, verse 14, and because of Baal worship, you see the ten northern tribes, as you read the historical books of First and Second Kings, the ten northern tribes were plunged deep into Baal worship. None of their kings were godly kings. I believe there was 19 kings in the house of Israel from Jeroboam to the very end before they, you know, till they went into captivity. And they were uh, steeped deep into Baal worship and false worship and went from bad to, to worse. And it's interesting that here, Judah, you're doing the same thing. And God brought judgment to the ten northern tribes. You're going to go into judgment. Matter of fact, you might remember in chapter 3 that it was the Lord that said, Your sister Israel, the ten northern tribes, are more righteous than you, Judah. And the reason is because you ignored what happened to Israel. You saw what happened to them as they were plunged deep into Baal worship and false worship. And yet you followed the same pattern. You went after the same false god. They went into captivity. Did Baal help them? Did Astroth help them, those false gods? No. There's no record in the Old Testament of those false gods helping the people of God. It only brought captivity. It only brought hurt. It only brought destruction and defiled the people. Listen. If we go after anything false other than Jesus Christ and living for him, maybe culture saying, hey, this is good, this is right, this is the direction you need to, to go. And if we are jumping on bandwagons of movements and, and you know what is popular and what's the latest trend, that is contrary to God's word, we're going down a road that is going to lead to just bondage and it's going to lead to defeat and distress and confusion. God's word declares that. Today, unfortunately, that there are those who are being told, just do what feels right. Well, this feels right. It's okay by culture. So I'll go ahead and I'll be involved, you know, uh, in immorality with my boyfriend, with my girlfriend. It feels right. It's okay. I'm a Christian. And the Lord is saying, turn back to me. Turn back to me because you're being polluted and defiled. He still loves you. He cares for you. He doesn't want you to be hurt by sin. So we need to understand that here the Lord is saying, Judah, you should have known, look what happened to Israel, and the same thing's going to happen to you. In verse 16, as we read it, thus says the Lord of hosts, do not listen to the words of the prophets who prophesy to you. They make you worthless. They speak vision in their own heart, not from the mouth of the Lord. He says when they make you worthless, they were not worthless. That is, they, the Lord still valued them, but it made them to where they were vessels of dishonor because they had believed the lies. They had believed that which was false. And the Lord is, is saying this brokenheartedly, that they speak a vision of their own heart, not the heart of God. You see, as a shepherd, I'm to give you the heart of God, even as, remember in chapter 3 of Jeremiah, that the Lord said that there will be a time where I will give you shepherds according to my heart who will feed you with knowledge and understanding. Here, these false leaders and teachers were speaking a vision from their own heart, not from the mouth of the Lord. Verse 17, they continually say to those who despise me, the Lord has said, you shall have peace. And to everyone who walks according to the dictates of his own heart, they say, no evil shall come upon you. You know, this really convicts me. It, it, they say it's going to be peace. It's going to be prosperity. You're going to be happy. But they're following after the dictates of their own hearts. So the question, listen, in the honesty of our hearts, for anyone listening tonight, are you following the dictates of your own heart? Are you desiring to please the Lord because you want to hear his heart? 
and walk after him. We all got decisions to make, every single one of us. And here the Lord is saying, you're following after the false words of these guys that are saying, follow your own heart. Do what you want to do. It feels good. It's okay. It's all right. No conviction. And listen, if you are continuing down a road of sin and carnality and there's no conviction, that is not a good place to be spiritually. And the Lord is saying, come home. I have so much that I want to do in your life. I want to bless you. I want you to be free to experience the abundant life if you allow me to. And he speaks to us with a broken heart whenever we follow the dictates of our own hearts. For who has stood in the counsel of the Lord and has perceived and heard his word? Who has marked his word and heard it? Behold, a whirlwind of the Lord has gone forth in fury, a violent whirlwind. It will fall violently on the head of the wicked. Verse 20, the anger of the Lord will not turn back until he has executed and performed the thoughts of his heart. In the latter days, you will understand it perfectly. As I was reading verse uh, 20, in the latter days, you know, when the Lord comes back and establishes his kingdom, you know, there's going to be no talk of, oh, you know, I didn't know that you were truly Lord. We're going to see, we're going to understand that he is Lord, and he is the Lord of righteousness. He is the Lord that is the king of all the earth. We're going to understand it perfectly. He has executed and performed the thoughts of his heart. In verse 21, I have not seen these prophets, yet they run. I have not spoken to them, yet they prophesy. They're just doing their own thing. But if they stood in my counsel and had caused my people to hear my words, then they would have turned them from their evil way and from the evil of their doings. The Lord is saying they're just doing what they want to do. I haven't sent them, yet they run. I haven't told them what to speak, yet they speak. And if they did do what I told them to do and to speak the words I told them to do, then you would turn away from what your evil doings are. In verse 23. For I am a God, am I a God near at hand, says the Lord, and not a God afar off. Uh, can anyone hide himself in secret places so I sh shall not see him, says the Lord? Do I not fill heaven and earth, says the Lord? Listen, God is present. He's everywhere. He hears and he sees and he knows everything, what we do and what we say. We cannot hide from him. Please don't ever have the mindset of, oh, God doesn't see, or he doesn't care, or, you know, he's indifferent. He sees, and here he's saying, am I God near at hand, says the Lord? I'm not a God far off. You can't hide from me. He knows everything about what we're doing. He knows everything that we do. And so here is he's addressing those false prophets. He's saying, listen that I hear and I see, live in the fear of the Lord. That's what living in the fear of the Lord means. It means, Lord, I reverence you, I respect you, and I know you hear everything, you see everything. I cannot hide anything from you. And I don't want to do anything that hurts your heart. And I know that we fall short uh, of, of that. But he, his forgiveness is incredible, his grace. But having that mindset of, Lord, you do see, you watch. I want to live a life pleasing to you. In verse 25, I have heard what the prophets have said who prophesied lies in my name, saying, I have dreamed, I have dreamed. How long will this be in the heart of the prophets who prophesy uh, lies? Indeed, they are prophets of the deceit of their own heart. Verse 27, who try to make my people forget my name by their dreams, which everyone tells his neighbor, as their fathers forgot my name for Baal. The word of God wasn't enough, but claimed to these false teachers to have dreams and visions. That happens today. We need to get back to the word of God. We need to stand firm on the word of God and give it to others. But there are those who are saying, you know, here's my thoughts and philosophy and my dreams and my visions that has nothing to do 
and doesn't line up with the Word of God. And as we read in verse 28, the prophet who has a dream, let him tell a dream. And he who has my word, let him speak my word faithfully. What is the chaff to the wheat, says the Lord? Is not my word like a fire, says the Lord, and like a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces? So the false prophecies and visions were like chaff. They were worthless. God's word is like a penetrating fire as it is effective as a hammer breaking a rock in pieces. It breaks up the hardness of our hearts. And he says, listen, you have a dream? That's chaff. But the word of God is wheat. The chaff blows away. And I don't want to give chaff as I'm teaching the word of God. I want there to be the wheat, the fruit that is given. The word of God that we're holding on to and growing in, working it in our hearts that it may take root there. As verse 30, Therefore, behold, I am against the prophets, says the Lord, who steal my words, every one from his neighbor. Behold, I am against the prophets, says the Lord, who use their tongues and say, He says. Behold, I am against those who prophesy false dreams, says the Lord, and tell them and cause my people to err by their lies and by their recklessness. Yet I did not send them or command them. Therefore, they shall not profit this people at all, says the Lord. They were robbing the people and they were being reckless, the false prophets. You know, we know, we hear that term reckless driver. A reckless driver can do a lot of damage. It's the same with someone who's reckless in teaching the Word of God, a Bible teacher that is telling people, live any way that you want, you know, and denying what the Word of God says and, and how we are to live for Him and the truth of Jesus Christ and the cross. They are reckless. They're robbing the people when they tell lies and speak that which isn't true. In verse 33, so when these people or the prophet or the priest ask you, saying, what is the oracle of the Lord? You shall say to them, what oracle? I will even forsake you, says the Lord. Now, oracle in the Hebrew means to lift, to, to carry, to take. It was a phrase that would speak um, of difficulty. It was heavy words of God. Usually, oftentimes, it would include judgment. And Jeremiah is going to say, I've already spoken that. The people are saying, what's the oracle of the Lord? And Jeremiah says, what oracle? It's already been given. You've refused to listen. And people were misusing that term, oracle, to distort the word of God given to them. Again, saying, peace, prosperity, just live any way that you want to. In verse 34, and as for the prophet and the priest and the people who say, the oracle of the Lord, I will even punish that man and his house. God would judge those who claim to have the oracles of God, but was false. In verse 35, thus every one of you shall say to his neighbor and every one to his brother, what has the Lord answered and what has the Lord spoken? And the oracle of the Lord you shall mention no more, for every man's word will be his oracle. For you have perverted the words of the living God, the Lord of hosts, our God. Verse 36 is so powerful. You perverted the words of the Lord. You know, the Lord of hosts, his oracle, our God. The word of God is, is so amazing. We are to handle it with care and with truth given. And thus you shall say to the prophet, what has the Lord answered you? And what has the Lord spoken? Verse 38, but since you say the oracle of the Lord, therefore thus says the Lord, because you say this word, the oracle of the Lord, sent to you saying do not say the oracle of the lord therefore behold i even i will utterly forget you and forsake you and the city that i gave you and your fathers and will cast you out of my presence and i will bring an everlasting reproach upon you and a perpetual shame which shall not be forgotten and so jeremiah don't use that word again 
I'm going to deal with those false prophets, and it's going to be very, very severe, as the Lord says, and, and, the, and the judgment that's going to come upon Judah and Jerusalem. And then chapter 24, very quickly, the signs of the two baskets of figs here that the Lord showed me in verse uh, 1 of chapter 24, and there were two baskets of figs set before the temple of the Lord after Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, had carried away king of Babylon, uh, that is, uh, of carried away captive Je Jeconiah, the son of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, and the princes of Judah with the craftsmen and the smiths from Jerusalem and had brought them to Babylon. And one basket had very good figs, like the figs that are first ripe, and the other basket had very bad figs, which could not be eaten, they were so bad. And then the Lord said to me, what do you see, Jeremiah? And I said, figs, the good figs, very good, and the bad, very bad, which cannot be eaten. They are so bad. So as we read this here, again, historically in 597 B.C., the Babylonians deported King Jehoiakim or Jeconiah to Babylon along with the nobles and the key citizens. After that second assault... Only the poorer people were left to work the land. So here are these two baskets of figs seen in this vision. The first basket had good figs, like those of those who ripen early. They are supposedly the best tasting. The second basket had bad figs. They are bad to eat. And we're going to see what they represent as verse 4. Again, the word of the Lord came to me. We know the, the good figs uh, are going to represent the uh, exiles from Judah. And God will bring a remnant back to the land, give them a heart to know me. And as we continue in verse 5, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, like those good figs, so will I acknowledge those who are carried away captive from Judah, whom I have sent out of this place for their own good into the land of the Chaldeans. For I have set my eyes on them for good, and I will bring them back into this land. I will build them and not pull them down. I will plant them and not pluck them up. Then I will give them a heart to know me, that I am the Lord, and they shall be my people, and I will be their God, for they shall return to me with their whole heart. Notice, for they shall return to me with their whole heart. I pray that as we get away from the Lord, as perhaps we're pursuing a road where it's not pleasing to the Lord, that we, we return with our whole hearts. You see, they hadn't done that, even during the days of Josiah. It was all in pretense. But they're going to return with their whole hearts. That's what we are to do. Turn to the Lord with our whole hearts in loving him, following after him. In verse 8, And as the bad figs, which cannot be eaten, they are so bad, surely thus says the Lord, so will I give up Zedekiah, he's the last king of Judah, his princes, his residue of Jerusalem, who remain in this land, and those who dwell in the land of Egypt. And I will deliver them to trouble and to all the kingdoms of the earth for their harm, to be a reproach and a byword, a taunt and a curse in all places where I shall drive them. And I will send the sword, the famine and the pestilence among them until they are consumed from the land that I give to them and their fathers. I think that tonight's lesson as we sum it up is this, that just how difficult and hopeless that comes to any of us when we forsake the Lord in the ways of the Lord. And, of course, we know that the Bible says that you will, you know, reap what you sow. If you sow into the spirit of the spirit, you reap to everlasting life. If you sow unto the flesh of the flesh, what? You're going to reap corruption. And we see this in the book of Jeremiah. And I pray for any of us that if the Lord's been dealing with us in any area of, of sin or carnality, attitudes, worldliness, accepting that which is lies contrary to the word of God, that we would return with a whole heart. And as we do, he's so forgiven and he is so gracious and it will be well with us. But if we continue down the road, which is false, it's going to be bad news. It's going to be bad news. So just as the Lord was brokenhearted here, he's brokenhearted today. 
when he sees us turn away from him and his ways. Walk in the ways of the Lord because his ways are good and his ways are right and he loves you. And that's where true freedom is. That's where true liberty is. That's where true blessing is found and strength and, and wisdom and joy and peace because the world's not going to offer you that or that which is false. So, Father, we thank you. We thank you so much for these lessons, and they're hard words, but they're important words for us to consider tonight. Lord, in your word, you love us enough to give us truth, to give us truth to know salvation, the way of life, not the way of death. And the way of life is through Jesus Christ who went to a cross and died for our sins because we have all sinned, all of us. But I'm so grateful for the giving of your son who went to a cross and died for us and took our sins upon himself. And then he cried out, it is finished. I've made atonement for your sins. I've done the work. And now we come in faith. The gospel, the good news that we can be forgiven and have right relationship with the Father because Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And we can have the hope of heaven. It is through Jesus Christ who one day is going to come back and he's going to rule and reign on this earth. He's the Lord, the righteousness. There is no other righteousness. And if you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, listen, he is your hope. He's your salvation. He desires to give you uh, a new heart to forgive you and to bring you in the right relationship with the Father. Listen, the world is not your hope. Don't follow the dictates of your own heart. Turn to the Lord. Call upon him. And you will have a new beginning, a new heart, become a new person, and come into the family of God. And you can come to salvation right now, if that means anything to anyone listening here. That Jesus, I come to you and I ask that you forgive me of my sins. I thank you that you love me so much that you, you came and died for me. Forgive me. I believe you died on the cross for my sins. You're alive. You rose again. And I ask that you sit upon the throne of my heart as you give me a new heart as my personal Lord and Savior. And I want to know you in your ways because this world is a big scam. And I want to know your truth because you are truth and you are life. To walk with you, to have closeness with you. I thank you for this new beginning in Jesus' name. And listen, if anyone prayed that prayer, will you please get a hold of us at church? We want to follow up. We want to welcome you to the family of God. But if you're listening here tonight and the Lord's been speaking to you, you know, conviction is to bring you to the Lord, not to push you away. That's condemnation. And we're not under condemnation, those of us in Christ Jesus. But he does bring conviction because he loves you. And if you are involved in sin and carnality and you're living in a way that's contrary to the Lord, he's calling out to you in a voice of love and a heart of love, turn to me and turn away from your sin. Because if you continue in sin and carnality, you're going to go down a road you don't want to go. It may feel right. It may be told that it's okay. But the Lord is telling you through his word, just as he warned the house of Judah back then, you know, 2,500 years ago, 2,600 years ago, it's the same word that is given to us. That if you go by the dictates of your heart and believe the lies, it will not be well with you. Will you turn to him? And maybe you want to do that tonight. Will you pray this prayer? Just, Jesus, I come and I turn back to you. Forgive me. I've turned away from you. I've been compromised, and I, I know I have. I've, I've sinned in this area. I've, I've been carnal. I've been looking at things I shouldn't. I've been in a relationship immorally. Uh, I, I've had bad attitudes. I've been unforgiving. I, I have been... Lord, believe in the lies of the world. 
I've been following after other gods, having idols in my life, whatever it is, Lord, forgive me, and I want to turn back with my whole heart right now, starting tonight, and to live for you, to walk with you, that it may be well with me. Thank you for your forgiveness and grace and that your love remains. And Lord, I pray for all of us that, that we in this day, that we would give truth to others, not compromise it, give our own visions and dreams like they were doing. The world desperately needs the gospel and the word of God. May we give that to our kids, our grandkids, the people that are linked to us in our lives because he is coming back. And Lord, you're coming for your church, I believe, very soon. So Lord, we thank you for tonight. We thank you for this book, the Bible, to feed us. May we be fed the word of God continually. Lord, I thank you for this church. I thank you that we're here in these days that we're in. I pray that you would just help us to get back into, Lord, where we can fellowship more. And, and I pray that you bless us Sundays. we come together. Lord, that we want to keep everyone safe, keep everyone safe here and protect us. Bless our summer, maybe a, a summer of just being refreshed and renewed in you. Thank you for your provision, Lord. I thank you for the love that's in this church. So, Lord, we just commit all these things to you in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Hey, hope we see you on Sunday, 8.30, 10.30. Bring your lawn chairs, bring your umbrellas. We'll have some seating in the sanctuary. Looking forward to seeing you once again on our in-person service on Sunday morning. God bless you. We'll be in Matthew chapter 6, the Sermon on the Mount, and, and Jesus has so much to say to us. And uh, have a good evening. God bless you. Hope to see you on Sunday.